Welcome to listeners. It's time for episode 112 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, joined, of course, by Kyle Ledbetter. On today's episode, we break down all things college football, NBA, and the NFL. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partner, Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. Kmancoffeeco.com, promo code slump. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code slump and get yourself a case today. All right, y'all, Juju Talk Sports, Kyle Ledbetter, episode 112. Let's get it, let's bust a slump, and let's enjoy. Kyle, I want to start off by apologizing to you. Had to spend a little bit more extra time in the gym today. You know, that extra 10 minutes, because after all, I have an outside shot at becoming a linebacker for the University of Arizona. Don't want to miss my chance to play in Tucson. I love this story so much. I'm so glad you brought this up because I haven't uh, been able to talk about it on Take It Easy yet. That the University of Arizona, which for people who don't know, like in the transfer portal era of college football, when a coach gets fired, players who are with that coach or recruited by that coach can immediately transfer one time without any explanation. Like you used to have to red shirt and go through this process. Like this is a good thing that this exists now. But what makes it funny is that a coach usually gets fired because their players are not good. But then those terrible players then leave. So now you have to get even worse players to come play for your team with the new coaching staff. So the University of Arizona is holding open tryouts and that team is worse than an FCS team. Skip, forget the Mountain West, forget Conference USA. That Arizona team is worse than an FCS team right now. I mean, the results bear it out. 0-5 and lost to Northern Arizona a couple weeks ago. We kind of joked about it a little bit, but you know, they hung in there a little bit against Oregon. I'll say that. They hung in there a little bit against Oregon this past weekend, but still, whenever you see open tryouts, Tryouts, you get those flashbacks to the Mark Wahlberg movie, Invincible. You're like, all right, man. Could you imagine just being a kid out there and your dream is play football, though? That is kind of cool. Just go out there, you know, try it out. Who knows? Get a college scholarship. I probably won't do so well. <laughs> I can't imagine if you're you'll playing find too at many hidden Glendale Community College. Head on down, see if you can get into the University of Arizona. They'll fudge the grades a little bit, but you can come play for the University of Arizona this year. I love that you mentioned the the Oregon game because this is what the Pac-12 does. The Pac-12 just exists for everyone to beat each other up and nobody's allowed to be good in that conference. The ACC's now joined them because Clemson obviously has uh, fallen off this year, but for about five years, the Pac-12 just exists for everyone to beat each other up. Everyone's going to go like eight and four. Nobody gets to have a good bowl game. They'll all just fight for the Foster Farms Bowl and the uh, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl and all of that stuff. I think Stanford like beat USC and then lost to UCLA the next week, but UCLA lost to Fresno. And then you can find like a weird loop of everyone beating each other up. You did mention it, Clemson. They had another loss this weekend. DJ Uolongole is not looking like the right predecessor 
to Trevor Lawrence. And it's looking kind of like that off year in between Deshaun Watson and Trevor getting there where you had, I, I don't remember, what's his name? Like Kelly Bryant was the in-between yep. quarterback right there. Fun fact, by the way, Kelly Bryant now in the CFL, in case you were wondering, he transferred to Missouri and now he's in the CFL. Things aren't going too well for you. CFL is always an option. Uh, I'll be interested to see what kind of quarterbacks end up there from time to time. XFL is back next year. So who knows? We might see some names pop up around there. But yeah, no, I mean, Clemson, another loss here. I saw Paul Feinbaum on ESPN this morning saying that he believes that the Dabo Sweeney dynasty is officially over. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Because I have seen the recruiting class rankings for the last few years and Clemson is still very highly regarded. It just seems like maybe they might not have the right guy or at least yet might not have the right guy at quarterback. Who knows? I mean, DJ can get better. I'm not going to completely discount the kid, but coming off a generational talent to him, you could tell that there is an obvious drop off in the offense. Maybe it's too predictable. Maybe that's one of the big things about it, but definitely a rough going for them. Hopefully they don't have a Florida state type drop off here. I said this after they lost because we did a, a, a quickie podcast after that because it was a big deal. And this is one of those situations where it threatens to set the program back about two or three years. It doesn't mean it's over. It just means this could be a two-year type of setback for Clemson, the, being the first month of the season where they should have, could have, would have lost to Georgia Tech. They obviously lose to Georgia and now NC State. They're barely hanging on to a top 25 ranking. They've got no chance of making the college football playoff. And this is one of those moments where the program is at a crossroad and it might be where that team that's been together and not the players, the players have obviously been interchangeable, but the the core of the program may start to go their separate ways for programs with more money. Because the part that's been so remarkable about the Clemson dynasty, that school is fourth in the ACC in athletic budget, and they're in the ranks with schools like the University of Utah and Kansas and Iowa. Like they are in like the 20s to 30 range in athletic budget in college sports, where obviously there are schools at the top with money who aren't as good, like obviously Florida State being the best example. They have the largest budget in the ACC by a significant margin. They're the only top 10 financial school in the ACC. But even then, Clemson has paid Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, the highest salary of any offensive coordinator. Their defensive coordinator, Brett Venables, has turned down multiple Power 5 jobs to stay for like $2.5 a year as the defensive coordinator at Clemson. Part of that is because his son plays on the team right now. And for years now, we've been connecting Dabo to that Alabama job because, of course, they're like, if Saban retires, Dabo played at the University of Alabama. He's from Alabama. He's a walk-on there. Everyone keeps connecting that there. And Saban's probably a decade from retirement, so Dabo's going to be at Clemson forever. But if it were going to break up, this would be like the inflection point where everyone kind of goes their separate ways at Clemson instead of spending the two years trying to rebuild the program. Because like you know, for your Texas Longhorns, just because you have a good recruiting class doesn't guarantee that you're going to have success. And Clemson was the mountaintop, and I don't know if they're still there anymore because this feels like something that's going to be hard to recover from. This is usually how programs kind of fade from the top, where like USC used to be the dominant superpower, and then they lost to Jim Harbaugh and Andrew Luck, and USC hasn't been the same since. Or Florida loses Urban Meyer and brings in, I think it was Muschamp after that, and they've never been the same since. This stretch of like four games feels like how programs fall apart in college football. Not to be like, you know, they're going to become Florida State, 
they might be Penn State. They might be Florida. They might be one of these third tier schools now in a conference that after Clemson is starting to look really bad. On the bright side for them, uh, it's looking like we're getting steps closer to college football expansion. So that still might keep them relevant if they're still in that playoff picture as we move towards 10 teams, 12 teams, somewhere in that range. Going to keep them, you know, in that mix, in that mix of names that you see on national TV, national recognized programs. It's going to solidify their recruiting base even further. Uh, one of the big things that Clemson was doing well in the middle part of the decade is their ability to retain guys not entering necessarily the draft portal when in theory they should. The Power Rangers from a couple of years ago, right? They were calling them the Power Rangers, if I'm not mistaken, Dexter Lawrence and all those guys. The yeah, fact that they, they were able to get four first round picks on the defensive line for people yeah. who don't know what that is. The fact that they were able to keep that continuity there, um, that sell everyone on the Clemson is family motto. Hopefully Dabo could continue that legacy there as you know, things get a little bit tougher, transfer portals and everything of that nature. So I'm not ready to completely declare the Dabo dynasty dead, but I will definitely say that it's on pause. All gas, no brakes. We're pumping the brakes here. One thing before we move on from college football, I do want to say this is my official apology to Arkansas Razorback Nation because you guys are killing it. You made me not feel as bad as that one loss that my UT Longhorns had to you guys here because 20 to 10 victory over Texas A&M flying into the top 10 of the AP polls. And Arkansas is looking like a legitimate program out there in the SEC. One thing I noticed when they played Texas was just their size was imposing. A&M has been struggling a little bit, particularly at the quarterback position over the last few weeks. They haven't really found that right mix in the early parts of the season. But Arkansas wasn't afraid to take advantage. They were a more physical team. They pushed around Texas A&M. And and yeah, uh, Arkansas. So like I said, mix at least Sark's reign at Texas look a little bit better here in the early going. I saw a stat that Sark is the first Texas coach to win four out of his first five games there. Sark era, off to a positive note by virtue of Arkansas actually being good this year. Yes, uh, we can get to, there's a term for what we have for Arkansas now. It's courtesy of Spencer Hall over on the shutdown full cast. It's not that, mediocre as it turns out. It's not mediocre. That's really what I got nailed on, going the mediocre. No. But what Arkansas does is they womp people. They might win, they might lose. They definitely got womped because they got a defensive tackle that is, and this is true, six foot five, 340 pounds. God damn. All their running backs are built extra large. Their quarterback is built extra large. Their head coach, he's from Oklahoma, but he just looks like Arkansas football. If people want to Google a photo of Sam Pittman, that man looks like Arkansas football. And he's That's just what I getting... was getting a lot in the comments. Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman's here. I can see it. You know, just the womp. I love that term for a Razorback football because God damn, like you think about a Razorback, what does a Razorback do? It womps people. It womps you. We're just the, the, the redneck cousins of the SEC that are now coming to Georgia as 18 point underdogs, despite the fact they're a top 10 team. And they're probably going to get womped by Georgia because Georgia has five star prospects everywhere. But the fact that Arkansas is going to womp their way to like the Outback Bowl is a huge victory for that program, considering the last time they were ranked in the top 10 before this week, Darren McFadden was their starting running back. That was in 2000. And six. That is the last time Arkansas was ranked in the top 10. Really? I was thinking that it might be even further, like going back to the Jerry Jones era. I thought he might still be in school the last time they were relevant. JK, just kidding, guys. Don't come after me. 
I mean it. But if you beat Georgia, if you want Georgia, then kudos to you. I, I, this college football season has been fun because I want to see some new blood in the mix. I want to see teams that we're not used to seeing in that playoff picture. Obviously, Iowa's up there right now. I mentioned Arkansas. They're up there kind of strangling out Cincinnati's in that mix as well. It's good to see, man. It's it just good to see that mix. I, I'm all for college football expansion. So a lot of great headlines coming out there. Let me tell you about the least surprising headline of the weekend. You know how I feel about Kyrie Irving, but man, hearing about the non-vaccination, the vaccination protest from Kyrie Irving, or at least hesitancy at the vaccine. If you were bookmarking which players are going to give you pushback or give you flack about this whole thing, wouldn't Kyrie have just naturally been at the top of the list? Kyrie is an anti-vaxxer, no, but as I think about it more and more, it makes sense that Kyrie Irving is going to be a leader on this type of situation. Now, is he leading for something that is dangerous? Absolutely. But Kyrie Irving is the person who is going to care the least about what other people think about him. And to be honest, this is the other end of the player empowerment spectrum is that the Brooklyn Nets are basically run by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and to another extent, James Harden, but James Harden, obviously came like a couple years later but that organization is basically at the whim of those players they decided that what we wanted was to play together and we wanted the power within the organization that we played for they've tried to trade Kyrie Irving multiple times and Kevin Durant just won't let them trade Kyrie Irving so that gives Kyrie Irving all the leverage now because he and Kevin Durant build the economy in Brooklyn they cannot be traded under any circumstances and the organization doesn't hold power over them because they can come and go when they please and this is such a unique situation that and this is the part that sucks for Brooklyn is like you give in to all of that because the entire team is built around those guys and so if James Harden is running around with his at being the imaginary friend of Lil Baby there's nothing you can do about it like it's just that's the way it is they have actually a, a separate budget outside of the salary cap where they can get money from the organization to buy houses, to buy weed, to do all kinds of stuff outside of being players for the Brooklyn Nets because they have so much power within that organization. Because by virtue of them coming there, they build an entire economy around that team. And so this is the other spectrum of player empowerment is that there is no accountability to Kyrie Irving other than he just won't make money. And we've seen in the there is the accountability right there. That's a good point because that came out today. One of the headlines was the NBA uh, put it out there that players that can't play in San Francisco or New York won't get paid for the games they don't play in as per those states' local regulations. Money, that's the ultimate way to hold people accountable, particularly these star athletes there. As far as Kyrie and this situation is whole, because he's not alone. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins is another one. I saw that Andrew Wiggins, his uh, religious exemption got denied. As far as I know, uh, most of the cases I've heard as far as religious exemption don't really hold a lot of weight. You know, obviously, this is not a political podcast. That's one thing I'll start off by saying. But one thing I will say is I don't think this should be really as political an issue as it is, man. It's starting to get to the point where it's frustrating. I don't know. It's like wearing a seatbelt, man. That's the way I'm kind of like looking at it now. You know, obviously, uh, we've seen accidents still do happen even while you're wearing that seatbelt. But at least, you know, it protects you from getting those huge major injuries, same way the vaccine works. And to have such a pushback and being such a media narrative and being such a thing where even though the NBA is 90% vaccinated, I've seen that 10% has been the loudest. 
and this is the other part is that we give a lot of credence to those people like Jonathan Isaac, who is not quite in the same camp as Wiggins and, and Irving, where he's like an eccentric type of anti-vaxxer. It's more like this man really loves Jesus. And that <laughs> kind of swings it in the way where he kind of buys into propaganda stuff. But all of this is a reflection of society at large. This is the part I talk about all the time is like sports reflect society. They help us grow and learn in ways that other types of leisure, whatever it is, don't necessarily do that. And so, you know, we have these conversations everywhere with schools, with going to work. Like if you want to do have these privileges, then you have to get vaccinated. And this is just a larger version of that with people in the case of Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal and Andrew Wiggins and even Jonathan Isaac, where you have leverage because you are an economy per se, like more than any other place. I know it's funny to think of Andrew Wiggins as an economy for the Golden State Warriors, but without Andrew Wiggins, multi-million dollar player, like he's probably more than some countries' economies, honestly. Yeah. No, Andrew Wiggins is going to make $28 million next year. And all that's going to be dead cap for the Warriors, which puts the Warriors then at a disadvantage. And so as funny as it is to think of Andrew Wiggins as an economy in Golden State, where Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond and three championships are, Andrew Wiggins does have leverage in this situation. More leverage than like the city government of San Francisco? No, definitely not. But leverage over the organization and over the NBA Players Association. So this is just a larger reflection of society. Mm -hmm. What do you do with these guys? I know that a lot of people have thrown out the narratives, trade these guys, trade these guys, trade these guys. And honestly, I mean, I've said it. I, I think that it would do the Nets a lot of good, honestly, trade Kyrie Irving. I think James Harden and Kevin Durant alone can win you a championship. And Kyrie Irving, no matter where he goes, man, he's just a headache. Like, I think the worst thing that happened for Kyrie Irving's career Honestly, like him hitting that shot or the worst thing that happened from an NBA analyst standpoint, because him hitting that shot against Golden State changed the entire narrative on Kyrie Irving. So like these uh, antics and stuff like that, they become so much more controversial and have so much more weight because we're talking about superstar Kyrie Irving, the guy who hit that clutch shot. It, it just changed our entire perception of how we view him. And I've sold I, my stock on Kyrie Irving a long time ago. If I took you back to, let's say the spring of 2019. So this was the last Warriors year. Kawhi was on the Raptors. This is before Kevin Durant leaves Golden State and before Kyrie leaves Boston. If I were to ask you the three players in the NBA that you probably had the strongest opinions on, you might be positive, might be negative, but you definitely have an opinion on those players. I think three of the top four would be Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and the fourth would probably be Draymond. Probably have to have LeBron in there. <laughs> yeah, but even then, those players, you definitely have an opinion on those guys. And so all of them being on the same team together takes a post-LeBron player empowerment era where LeBron made it easy for everyone to say, if LeBron can leave, then therefore what's stopping me kind of thing. Like there's no pressure or stigma anymore from leaving. Yeah, fans will be pissed at you, but if you ignore that, then you can get everything you've ever wanted and more from playing on a super team. But in that post-super team era, it's just, this is the highest level of that we've ever seen where those three stars are on the same team together and they have total control over the organization because I don't know how credible the Nick Wright report was but he had basically or it was either Nick Wright or Stephen A. Smith had said Brooklyn had called about a Ben Simmons trade for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant just immediately shut that down 
because he won't have them trading his friend. The whole point of them being there for better or for worse is to play together. And if they win a championship, that's icing on the cake. Because the thing Kevin Durant realized is no matter where he goes, the team he plays on is immediately a championship contender just by having Kevin Durant. Well, another added element to that story is Kyrie's people, I think, were saying something along the lines that he would be open to retiring had he got traded off the Nets. And that kind of just handcuffs the organization. I know we've had similar situations like that. How going to the NFL, you have Rob Gronkowski saying, if you trade me to the Detroit Lions, I'm going to retire right now too. Um, Remember, Antonio Brown was traded to the Buffalo Bills and then he commented on a Bleacher Report post about the trade. He was like, sorry, this is fake news. And the next day the trade was gone. And then he was traded to the Raiders after that. But don't disrespect the greatest Buffalo Bills wide receiver of all time for a day. Antonio Brown up there with Carmel Anthony's day tenure with the Atlanta Hawks. Greatest of all time. Yeah. I mean, name me another Buffalo receiver from the 2000s pre pre Antonio Brown in 2019. There's not much to work with there. Lee Evans. (laughs) Yeah, my dad always was, used to convince me to have to draft Lee Evans. I, I was Stevie Johnson it. there for a while. I think Ooh, Stevie Johnson, Stevie Johnson there. had some good years. Stevie Johnson really did. Putting a wrap on this whole thing. Player empowerment has its pros. It has its cons. In this situation, I, I view this as an absolute con. I think that this is one of the downfalls of it going a step too far. So I agree with the sentiment, what I would call it, just because I don't want to put positive and negative connotations personally on it. I'd say it's an unintended consequence. When players take power from the organizations, which in general, I think is a good thing. Of course, they're going to be unintended consequences. And I think this is one of those situations where Kyrie Irving is going to be a leader on this issue, but he's going to be a leader for anti-vaxxers, which personally I disagree with. And Kyrie Irving's going to be that guy and have the power to do it freely. And, And we talked about money a little bit earlier. And like you said, Kyrie Irving has consistently turned down money in the past. He's turned down multiple max extensions. He's turned down the super max with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's turned down a chance to win championships with LeBron James. I think he could turn down the money just to not play home games. Now, I think Kevin Durant is, he's going to have to explain it to Durant on a personal level because they were all planning to like sit out a few of the games this year and then just get them all healthy for the playoffs. But I think he's going to have to like on a personal level, explain it to Kevin Durant and James Harden. I don't know what to do with James Harden. Apparently James Harden doesn't use the internet. Um, James Harden has said that he just doesn't ever log into the internet anymore. He deleted all his social media after the Kardashian <laughs> thing. That's such a contrast to his two teammates there. Yeah. I don't know what to do with James Harden. At this point, I just love the joke that during the off season, he's just little baby's imaginary friend and he just wanders around next to him. And yeah, James Harden's just like, I can live my own life here in Brooklyn and not play for the Houston Rockets who are ready to tank during that last season. Well, I guess bright side for Kyrie is if you won't take the backs, at least you could burn some sage. I'm sure that will get rid of it. Uh, Let's move into some better headlines. Let's move into some cheerier subjects. Let's talk about the fact that both of us had a winning week in week three of the NFL pick'em for us. Three and two each. I was 37 seconds away from being four and one and 37 seconds away from my Niners being three and oh. So it was a little bit of a frustrating week, a little bit bittersweet. No movement in the standings. We're kind of like the Giants and Dodgers right now where we're kind of 
matching each other's win-loss records or win-loss patterns. You know, who knows? Maybe this week we kind of get some separation, hopefully in my direction. Of course, I'm a little bit biased here. We have some excellent games going in week four. We have some five solid games to talk about, and a lot of them are taking place on the West Coast. So Kyle, let's see here. Which direction do you want to go in first? We have some good ones on the tap here. Ooh, I think there's only one place we can start with, and that is, of course, Brady versus Belichick Sunday Ooh, Coming in hot football. here. Okay. We got to we gotta get right down to this. Because is it the best game of the week? No, it's not. But this is all about the storylines. And the NFL doesn't usually do storylines like this. But I have a feeling this is going to be the highest rated game of the next like three plus years. And it's not even the best game this weekend. Well, you know, going into it, you mentioned it might not be the best game. Vegas kind of tends to agree because they have the Patriots at plus six and a half. One storyline that I don't want to underrate because it's at the top of the list with the Brady Belichick stuff. Brady needs only 68 yards to pass the all-time passing yards leader, Drew Brees, on NBC while Drew Brees is going to be a part of the telecast. I think that's almost poetic in a way. It's up there with if you would have done it in New Orleans this year, but I'm okay with it happening in New England. You know, there's going to be a bit of cheers and ovation coming from even a rough, tough Boston area code as Brady breaks that record going in. The only thing I'm kind of curious of, do you think he'll do it right away? First quarter, second quarter? Prop bet there. What do you think on that one? Oh, boy. I would say it depends on who wins the coin toss. So if they win the coin toss, I think they'll get it. If not, I think it'll be early second quarter. Or I guess they would lose the coin toss because the Patriots would defer to the second half. So then they would get it first. But I would say flip a coin like the coin toss. If not, it's going to happen the second possession, I'd say. They're going to maybe punt the first one and second possession. Brady will, will break the record. Well, Brady coming off that tough loss against the Rams had over 400 yards in that game. So he's definitely going to pass his record pretty quick based off his pace from the first three games there though I will say the Patriots defense they have been pretty solid this year granted they have faced the Dolphins Jets and Jameis Winston led Saints but nine sacks Matthew Judon has four of those on his record JC Jackson's been playing well Uh, they're the number one defense in terms of yards per attempt allowed against them so Belichick definitely does have that defensive group playing well this year initially in the offseason when predicting this game looking ahead looking at the marquee games I was trying to be cute with it I was thinking to myself okay I think the Patriots Brady there's gonna be high emotions It's going to be one of those games where Brady's going against a guy that has been playing against him in practice for 20 plus years. I'm giving the advantage to the Patriots. And then I saw the Patriots play this season. And then I saw Mac Jones play. And right now they're one of the lowest yards per attempt teams in football. Uh, They haven't even made a completion of 35 plus yards this year or any play for that matter of 35 plus yards. Their backfield is a little bit of a mess as Patriots backfields tend to be. James White just went down with a hip injury. It's hard to say anything but the Buccaneers not only winning, but covering on Sunday night. Kyle, what is your pick going into the game? Uh... Pissed off Brady too, I should add coming off a loss yeah I mean this is this is the hard thing to figure out because there's a lot of things working for Brady obviously the emotions he's gonna break the record but then we also have one Bill Belichick knows everything Tom Brady is going to do and Tom Brady knows everything Bill Belichick is going to do two the one product of the Bill Belichick defense is that they're really good at taking away your best option which in this case you could look at the Bucks and be like well who is the best option on the Bucks? they've got five wide receivers and two or three 
tight ends who can do everything. But in this case, there actually is something we can point to and say, this is where they'll take it away. And it's Mike Evans. If you can take away Mike Evans, hold Mike Evans to like two, three catches, basically. If you go into the game saying, Mike Evans is not going to beat us in this game. Yes, you do have to go up against Chris Godwin. And yes, you have to go up against Antonio Brown. And in the first week of the season, that's exactly what the Cowboys did. And the Bucks still kind of picked him apart. But I do think if Belichick takes away Mike Evans, I think that they can actually like get punts of the Bucks offense, not necessarily stop them from scoring, but just force a few more punts than it would be normally. To answer your question straight up, I'm just going to get cute with it because I just want to have some fun here. <laughs> okay. Patriots okay. will at the very least cover. That's what I will say. At the very least, it will come down to the very end of the game. It'll be one of those coin toss type of games and I'm going to be cute with it. Patriots plus six and a half to cover the spread. And you know what? 50-50 chance they win the game. I will flip a coin and say the Patriots just might win. One more thing you said before. Yeah. How bad does it have to be for Mac Jones? This is not going to be fun to be Mac Jones on Sunday. This is like, just kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this ever in my career. What is happening right now? I have to go play quarterback now for this team that everyone might be rooting against me in my home stadium. Ugh. I'm curious. I haven't kept an eye on any of the interviews heading into this game, the player interviews, but I imagine that Mac Jones has just been hammered with questions on what's it going to be to be lined up against Tom Brady? How's that going to be? Are you worried about being in his shadow and his legacy? You know that Sunday night football, they have to do all kinds of production value and video packages that are probably going to involve that question as well. So Mac Jones, this is a high pressure game. What I will say, partial things kind of like renege on my pick a little bit, you know, if possible things that the Patriots can do well is JPP is probable to miss this game. So that does hurt the Buccaneers pass rush. You still have some studs out there with Namdi Kitsu, Vita Vea, obviously Shaq Barrett and Devin White, guys that can get after it. But also, obviously, they just signed Richard Sherman, which is a stopgap given that their secondary is one of the worst in football currently. So if there was ever a time for Mac Jones to put it all on display, it would be against this week. Bucks secondary. All right. Any more closing thoughts on the big game before we move on? Obviously, a lot of storylines, a lot of things going on here. So I don't want to just brush by it too quickly. You know, the part that's going to be interesting is also the Tom Brady primetime curse. So there's this weird thing that people don't talk about a lot is that Tom Brady is actually sub 500 in his career in primetime games. And the reason that this is the case is because Tom Brady goes to sleep at nine o'clock every night. And so when he plays games at 830 East Coast time, his body clocks are all off when he plays. So hmm. maybe that plays into this game. It happened early in the season against the Cowboys when they they almost dropped a game they were 10 point favorites in. So maybe, maybe not. Tom Brady struggles in these primetime moments. That is a fun fact. Okay. That goes to the list of fun facts on this episode. This has been a fun episode so far. All right, let's get into some more fun games. Come on, let's go. Let's move on. Let's talk about something that I know you were excited to talk about. You said this game has to be on our list. Ravens Broncos. Currently, the Broncos are a point favorite in Denver. And I think I have an idea of why you were so anxious to talk about this game. Seeing Justin Tucker out there hitting a 66-yard field goal, making it acceptable for kickers to return to fantasy football again. Kyle, Baltimore heading into the undefeated Broncos. 
What do you think about this one? So something that happened after the Justin Tucker kick was every Lions fan in America basically saying, we, we knew this was coming. We knew this was going to happen. Nothing good can ever happen to Detroit Lions. We concluded this on our poll. Nothing good ever happens to Detroit. And so Baltimore like sneaks out a win two weeks in a row where not for a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble and if not for a, a missed kick at the end, Baltimore could be 0-3, which is really just the sign that none of this really matters. Like it's just kind of a, a fumble here or a bounce off of a goalpost here really tells the difference between how good or bad some of these teams are. But if you had to come into the season saying, all right, Baltimore is going to play the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Lions, what is their record going to end up being? And if you had to pick one, you probably would have said they're probably going to be about two and one. So that's where Baltimore ends up at this point in the season. So I would say Baltimore is probably going to have a rushing attack against Denver predicated on Lamar in this game. They obviously have the 2015 Pro Bowl team at running backs who may or may not make a difference in this game. Like we'll find out over time. But I think Baltimore is actually going to win this game. I know they are underdogs slightly and Denver's had one of the best defenses in the NFL so far this year, but I got to roll with Baltimore in this one with the 3-0 Broncos finally getting tested for the first time here in October. And rushing attack is going to be the name of the game for Baltimore. I could see a big day for Lamar Jackson. Maybe he finally has one of those uh, Lamar Jackson-esque runs that goes for 50, 60 yards and ends up putting the game out of reach from the Denver Broncos. So I've got Baltimore in this one. You talk about this being the first real test for the Broncos. Uh, that's inarguable. You look at their opponents in the early weeks, they faced the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Giants. Literally, the bottom three teams in my power rankings. So it was hard for me to have a 3-0 team still teeter-tottering on the 16th rank. And I think that that's appropriate. That's about an adequate range for them until I can see more. So this is a, their first real opportunity to elevate themselves to being a true top 10 real contender in my mind. And I will say this, I don't think they're up for the task because there's two things that are happening where the Ravens are getting a little bit healthier. They got a handful of starters in both defense and offense coming back to them this week. The Broncos are getting more and more banged up, particularly in the receiving core. Jerry Judy, we know in week one, it looks like he was out for the year. High ankle sprain, he'll come back in a couple of weeks, but he's out this game. KJ Hamler, we know he is out for the year. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on guys like Cortland Sutton and of course, Tim Patrick to make up the, for the majority of the work in the passing game. And Teddy Bridgewater, we know what he is. He's a solid game manager, solid contributor, but I don't think that's going to be enough against Baltimore. And one thing that I think in particular, when it comes to that vaunted Broncos defense, the number one scoring defense currently in football, despite their opponents, is they love to play a lot of man coverage. Well, I'm going to tell you, man coverage isn't going to fly against Lamar Jackson once he gets outside the pocket and you have to chase him down 10, 20, 30 yards downfield. You talk about this being the first real opportunity for him to have one of those big classic Lamar type runs. I think that that just goes to show because of the type of defense that the Broncos run. Yes, they have a veteran coordinator, veteran coach in Vic Fangio there that likes to make adjustments. But through three games, we know the formula for beating Lamar Jackson is running cover three. The Broncos have ran cover three less than 10 times this season. So I don't think they're going to completely change up their entire defensive philosophy for just one game. And that's why I have the Broncos tough road game or and that's why I have the Ravens tough road game going into Denver and winning.
also that would have been a expect- real pivot if you had if you had gone like here's all the reasons why the Ravens are going to win, but I'm still going to pick the Broncos in this game. That would have been a great pivot on your part. A sleight of hand right there. You know the magicians wait till the very end to reveal their best secrets. Uh, hopefully, speaking of like sleight of hands, hopefully Hollywood Brown's hands are a little bit better this week. They should have won the Lions in more dominating fashion, but three key drops for him. Luckily, speaking of them getting a little healthier, Rashad Bateman might make his rookie debut this week. He's at least practicing, so that's something to look forward to if you're Ravens fans. But this game isn't all that matters in the AFC West this week. In fact, Monday Night Football is a huge game for the AFC West as we have the Raiders going into their second home Los Angeles. Want to know a fun fact here? 75% of the tickets, according to Vivid Seats, you know, one of the leading ticket providers, are reportedly going to the Raider Nation. So we talked about it a couple weeks ago, how much of a home field advantage the Chargers really have in SoFi. Apparently, they just have none when it comes to facing the Raiders. Huge liability for this team as they move forward, particularly in the division now that the Raiders are good. You know, the Raiders 3-0 and for the first time in forever. The black hole is going to be rocking even in SoFi. Early line on this game is that the Raiders are going to be three and a half point underdogs. I would love them with the points, but I love them to win outright. That is my early pick here. Let's get right to it. I am rolling with the formerly San Diego Superchargers to win this week against the Raiders. And this is just a simple math of Justin Herbert has really good protection. And if the Raiders can't put pressure with four, their defense is going to absolutely crumble because it's not a lot of names on that defense outside of the guys on the front, like Yannick Ngakwe, Max with two X's, Crosby, Cleland Furl, Carl Nazib. After that, you got a lot of Littletons in the secondary. Jonathan Abrams, a big hitter but has been terrible in coverage so far so this just feels like a classic case of Herbert's going to get the time and Herbert's going to connect on all his passes because that's what Herbert does I think he's second in the league right now in completion percentage someone can fact check me on that our producers that don't exist can fact check me on that (laughs) but I think Justin Herbert is second in the league in completion percentage right now so I would say the Chargers win this the stat that's getting floated around this week that I found kind of cool is Rashad Sean Slater, the left tackle for the Chargers, has not allowed a sack since week four of 2018 at Northwestern. Did he take a year off? Isn't that a little bit of a Fugazi stat right there? Yes, yes, you are correct. But still, the point is true that the Chargers invested so much in, well, first of all, just getting Anthony Lynn out of there and getting an, a different offense in there for Justin Herbert. But two, investing in the offensive line. Is Tri Turner a Charger now? I can't remember if Tri Turner was a Charger. He is now I a Charger. I thought but... they cut him because I remember that name floating around this offseason. I thought that they yeah. let him go. And I remember... Uh, Hell, even giving the somewhat fellow Chargers fan on our Slump Buster Media team, Eris, a little shit because I'm like, man, you guys just invested this guy and you let him go. So I I think that's about right. I think Trey Turner is not there. So I I just wanted to make sure because if I had listed him as like a major addition, it wouldn't have been great analysis. So to that point, still, they gave Corey Lindsley the largest contract of any center in the NFL. They spent their high first round pick on Rashawn Slater, who was a top 10 prospect on the interior, who then they moved to the left tackle position. And he's pretty much been an anchor so far this year. And much to my chagrin uh, in fantasy football, first place in my league right now, just putting that out there. Mike Williams has blown up this year for the Los Angeles Chargers. Finally, you know, a true wide receiver to part of an offense that throws the ball a lot. And Keenan Allen's more of the yardage type guard, the 
10, 11 catch type guy. Mike Williams is that big threat that kind of works across the middle of the field in that pseudo Tyreek Hill role. I know the Chargers don't run the same offense as the Chiefs, but it's a pseudo Tyreek Hill role for Mike Williams. And if it's been awesome to start him on my fantasy teams the past two weeks. So for those reasons and more, I do like the Chargers to not have a letdown game after beating Kansas City with that once every year Kansas City Chiefs four turnover games. I know only two of them were Mahomes' fault, but it still is that game where the Chiefs just turn the ball over a bunch and end up losing. I'm glad you brought up that potential, the letdown narrative, the letdown game. I think that that is one that I am going to hammer in making my selection here and being resolute in the fact that I think the Raiders will go 4-0. Now, we'll say last year, Herbert, you mentioned, how can this defense stop? And last year against the Raiders, Herbert was 1-1, one one, so one win, one loss against them, split the series, four touchdowns, zero picks, and 113 QBR. Well, I'm going to say Gus Bradley being there in Las Vegas or being there in Los Angeles this particular weekend, I think is a huge addition for the Raiders because who lined up against Herbert each and every day in practice there? Gus Bradley and Gus Bradley's defense. And there's a lot of former pieces from that Chargers defense last year that are now on the Raiders team. You mentioned a Denzel Perryman. I think that one thing too, the Raiders are going to be able to do well in this game. As everyone looks at John Gruden, thinks of him as more of a finesse guy. His offense is more finesse built, but they want to punch you in the mouth. They want to come at you hard and they do it with a strong running game. Yes, Josh Jacobs may miss this week again, but Peyton Barber, Kenyon Drake, this is a solid enough backfield. They may get Jalen Richard back from injury. So a great little pass catcher. They're down passing down work for Derek Carr there as well the Chargers defense hasn't done anything to these running games over the last three weeks Antonio Gibson had a good day against them CEH had a good game against them both Zeke and Tony Pollard had good games against them if the Raiders could get that running game going early that's going to set up Derek Carr on tons of play action get to use his receivers get to use Henry Ruggs III Brian Edwards Darren Waller and I think those are going to make the Raiders, the favorable pick heading into this tough divisional matchup on Monday Night Football. Great game. I'm excited for it. Over under is sitting somewhere around like 52 points. Early betters are going with the over there. Uh, Kyle, do you concur? Is this going to be one of those shootouts there in SoFi? Well, I'm over two picking those so far. I thought the, the Chiefs Chargers game would be the under, and then I thought the Cowboys Chargers game would be the over. So I guess I'm testing my luck here. We're going to talk about the Seahawks game in a second. I'm now I guess two, two Chargers that, games, so. though. That's probably the key there, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'd say the Chargers, I guess the thing I'm banking on is the Chargers offense. Chargers defense, I just don't know what to do with yet. Like you, you listed all the stats about them in the running game, but also they've held people to 20 plus points and the team generates turnovers. It can usually mask a poor defense or make an average defense look better. It's just not sustainable over the long run. So I, I just don't know what to do with the Chargers defense yet. So what's the over under set at right now? I was overhearing it. It was like 52 points, I believe, in doing my pregame research. I don't have it written down somewhere here. Let's see if I can do a quick little. It's like 50, 52, somewhere. 52 and a half. Then scroll and scroll. I would say research. We have yeah, it no, at I 52 and a half. 52 and a half. Yeah, there you go. Juju knows what he's talking about. I would just stay producers. away from it. Yeah, who needs producers at this point? I would just stay away from the bet. I, if I had to guess one, I would lean to the over just because I generally lead over on NFL games, but I would stay away from a bet on that one. I know this is like nuanced middle of the road talk here, but I would stay away from the gambling on that one. Ah, come on. Who needs strong convictions? Middle of the road? 
it's it's comfortable in the middle. It's safe in the middle. Stay in the middle. Anyway. Yes, that's where I like to live. I'll stay in the middle on this one. We're going to stay on the West Coast because the NFC West has been one of the best divisions in football. Of course, the main losses are coming from the Seahawks with two, one and two record currently right now. And the Niners obviously losing a heartbreaker on Sunday Night Football. Uh, these two teams line up. And for me personally, going against Russell Wilson has been my own personal house of horrors each and every time I've seen him line up against the Niners. He escapes the pocket, does something magical. And given the Niners' current depth at the cornerback position, that is one thing that I am worried about. However, this Seahawks team through three weeks has been one of the worst defenses, certainly in the NFL. I mean, the Vikings and Kirk Cousins were just lighting them up this weekend. Obviously, we know the big comeback win against the Titans. I have gone against the Seahawks two weeks in a row, and I bet on it right both times. So can I do it the third time? Well, come on. You know there's no way I'm going against my Niners against the Seahawks. This is a biased pick. This is purely a homer pick. But the boys in the back there, those are who I'm going with, even despite our injuries. We should get Elijah Mitchell back, so that is going to be a little bit of a boost. One storyline for both these teams, I mentioned the Seahawks struggles on defense. The Niners kind of a similar thing going on right now, so both these teams have a combined three turnovers on the year, so two for the Niners, only one for the Seahawks. What this game's going to come down to is who can make the big play, who can make the game-breaking play there. It's going to be a tight one right now. It's a two-and-a-half point line in favor of San Francisco. Go Niners! Uh, Hoping for the best here, and it's been a rough week having to deal with all the Jimmy Garoppolo slander on Twitter coming from our own fan base. That has been fun. Yeah, Jimmy G and Trey Lance is a whole nother conversation at this point. But the, the, the paradigm shift here is that I have bet with the Seahawks and I have lost just as you have bet against Seattle and nailed each of the last two weeks. So I'm, I would be ahead of you right now in the pick and pool if I had less faith in Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. It's weird because the Titans and Vikings are have been beatable. Like you said, the defense has been atrocious this year, but even like watching it on the red zone, I'm like, I don't know why this team isn't better at this point. And probably I'm not watching all of these Seahawks games, but I don't know why that team is not better and couldn't peg them as the team that, you know, goes seven and 10 in that division this year. I, I would have thought it would have been either the Niners or the Cardinals, but this is a huge, huge, huge five days for the Seahawks coming up because you've got this game against the 49ers and then immediately Rams and Seahawks Thursday night football the week after that. So this is where the pile up in the NFC West that we've been talking about for like 12 months when Kyler Murray and JJ Watt team up in Arizona and when all the 49ers come back healthy and Stafford gets traded to the Rams, all that stuff is leading up to this weekend and then into next week where we kind of start to break up that log jam in the NFC West. But everything says the Seahawks should be two and two and the 49ers should be two and two. Both those teams feel like they've played two and two football so far, but I can't risk going 0 and three on the Seattle Seahawks. I have if we lose, I am saying you jinxed us right now, here and there. See, I have a rule on on our pick and pull with take it easy, which is you can skip out on games. But the rule is if you skip out on a game, you have to pick either Lions or Falcons because no one should ever bet Lions or Falcons under any circumstances. And I'm starting to think the Seahawks might be my kryptonite here because I'm now 0-2 picking the Seahawks. I'm picking against them this week. And of course, DK Metcalf's going to have 210 yards 
against this vaunted, well, I guess vaunted is the wrong word. I guess vaunted is good. Bad vaunted 49ers secondary, which they ha- they did take advantage of Minnesota in the last game. It was just too much running. I think it was just poor play calling on the Seahawks part, trying to establish the run when Patrick Peterson was the only good corner on the Vikings. And like you talked about, the Vikings just outdueled yeah. them towards the end of the game. But 49ers look better than I thought. I will give them credit. I thought they were going to be the team that ended up missing the playoffs in the NFC. And I don't know when Trey Lance is going to come in. I personally would have put him in for the Packers game and never looked back. But that's because I think Trey Lance is just going to be a very, very good quarterback. And I would like to find that out right now. So for now, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that's going to be just good enough for your San Francisco 49ers to get the win. Hey, coming at it from an unbiased perspective without the fan base, I could understand where you're coming from, from the Trey Lance stuff. You would just love to see the more dynamic player, the rookie in there. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's where a lot of Niners fans are coming at it from. But the way I look at it this year, who gives us the best chance to realistically win this season? You look at how bad the rookie quarterback play has been throughout the NFL. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is still the guy. I mean, hell, the guy, we were down 17-0 came back in that game. There was a great comeback drive at the end that should have been the game winner. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo right now at this time is the quarterback that gives the Niners the best chance to win. Now using Trey Lance as a gadget player, I think that's just great play calling when Kyle Shanahan does dial up in the red zone. Right now he's a piece on this roster and all pieces are relevant towards potentially filling in a championship puzzle. And that's why I think Trey Lance is best utilized at right now. DK Metcalf, who's going to stop him right now? The Niners secondary. Uh, Dimondor Lenore, he looks like he could be a good little fifth round pick for us out of Oregon. But right now, he's not that guy. He's just makes every now and then a rookie mistake. And that should be expected. And going against two vaunted you mentioned vaunted, vaunted wide receivers for the Seahawks here in Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf. Um, you definitely have uh, Emmanuel Mosley, who had his first game coming back. First game come back, you had to face Aaron Rodgers. Great for him. The Niners had to go out there and get Buster Screen, who had the worst QBR against last season for, I believe, Chicago, maybe the Jets. I'm used to seeing him on bad teams, but Buster Screen is usually a reason why teams are bad. He's sliding yeah, I think he, wasn't he on Williams. the Titans at one point, maybe? Yeah, maybe probably. Buster I would Green's believe been it. on some bad teams. But he's sliding in for Kwan Williams, who is one of the better slot cornerbacks in at the NFL. Again, injuries decimating. How Josh Norman has a bruised lung. What is a bruised lung? I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know you could bruise a lung. That's like a Niners injury if there ever was one. It has potential to be a shootout. It's just going to be a matter of can Jimmy be up for the task to go against Russell Wilson? The last year that Jim Garoppolo played the Seahawks, and the Seahawks had a huge victory was because they were sending exotic blitz packages at him. I don't know what Seahawks defense we're going to be getting. I know if Pete Carroll can dial some of those up. That's the only thing that can make it a hard day for the Niners. But like you mentioned, we got to clear this logjam. There's a lot of teams right now here competing in the NFC West. Uh, right now at the tippity top of it, though, you have two 3-0 and teams, the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. So they're going to be going at it in Los Angeles. Oh, two games in SoFi, back-to-back, Sunday and Monday. That's kind of a crazy thing. You don't see that too often. Four-and-a-half-point favorites the Rams are going into this game. Meanwhile, Sean McVay, he's 3-0 and on the season, but lifetime, 6-0 and against the Cardinals. Oh, and to take it a step further, fun stats of the day here. 40-0 and in games that he's leading at halftime. Saw that stat pop up over the weekend. So if you're the Cardinals, I guess the key to that is Get ahead early, get on the board going fast because you can't afford to do what you did against the Jaguars this past weekend. If you had Kyler Murray as your number one rated fantasy quarterback heading into the weekend, 
you were sorely disappointed as he finishes quarterback 16 against the Jaguars. And that has always been my concern with the Cardinals teams. Cliff Kingsbury has been the inconsistencies and not getting amped up for the right games. Who knows? Maybe they were looking ahead. They were working past the Jaguars and that kind of bit him in the ass. But that is something that you just can't do against this Rams team. You can't get complacent. They do have some issues on the offensive line, which is not something you like to hear when you're facing Aaron Donald. Jeff Beecham, Justin Pugh, Justin Murray, these are all guys that could potentially miss this game Sunday. And that's going to make it very tough on Kyler Murray, you know, as he tries to evade the Rams pass rush. My winner in this game, or you know what, you pick first, you pick first. We'll see how this kind of goes and kind of talk ourselves into it. What's interesting about this game, apart from everything that's just fantastic about the Cardinals being as good as they've been so far, and me saying at the start of the year, like after Tampa Bay and Green Bay, like the Rams on paper were like right there, I felt like I went out on a limb and said that good things are going to happen to the Rams this year. And even I've been wowed by how great they've been this year. I, I picked them against the Bucks. Even I was wowed that the Bucks just had no chance to win in that game and that they've just looked so much fun throughout the season I genuinely the Rams have been the best team in the NFL so far this season and that's hard to do considering how great the Chiefs are even in loss the Chiefs offense has just been rolling this year and because the Rams have a top defense and might have a top offense they look good enough to win a Super Bowl very early on in the season. And going into this game, like you mentioned, Kyler Murray doesn't need the greatest offensive line because of how much time he can buy in the pocket. But this is a real test, especially like you mentioned, Murray may be hurt, Justin Pugh might be hurt for this game, and the Rams are going to win. We have our 2012 Rams helmet here busted out for the second week in a row, the three logos ago Rams helmet. But the Rams are going to win this game. The Rams could win this game by a lot, and it's more just a regression to the mean for the Arizona Cardinals more than anything else. Is Kyler Murray one of the best eight or so quarterbacks in the NFL? Absolutely. Him and Herbert have both made me go, wow, what did I just watch this year a couple times? And then Kirk Cousins saw Kyler Murray like fade from one foot and throw it 40 yards. And then he's like, what if I do that, but only 15 yards? I think I could do what Kyler Murray does, but just less because I'm Kirk Cousins and he's Kyler Murray. But even still, Kyler Murray had a bunch of wow moments this year. And the fact the Cardinals are three and oh, is it? huge overachievement for them. I know the schedule has worked somewhat in their favor, considering that they've played, well, the Titans might be good. The Titans might not be good, but that's a, you know, average-ish team. The Vikings are an average-ish team and the Jaguars are are just not good. But the fact they're 3-0 and and that they didn't succumb to one of these trap games is a great sign for the Arizona Cardinals. This just feels like a regression to the mean type of game where the, the way the Rams end up winning this division is by winning games like this against the Cardinals. So LA Rams through and through to beat the Arizona Cardinals. You mentioned Arizona not falling victim to these trap games. That is only because of the opponent's inability to capitalize, of course, because of course you mentioned the Vikings with that 37-yard missed kick by Greg Joseph. And then the Jaguars, what bit them in the ass this game is I don't know if you saw the interception by Trevor Lawrence, but that is the definition of a rookie mistake. If there was rookie mistake in the dictionary, you would put that picture framed. Trevor Lawrence just, I don't know, he was just kind of meandering outside the pocket. And rather than loading yeah, they, up for a real throw, just kind of flinged it. 
Yeah, they called a flea flicker play, which why are we still doing this with Daryl Bevel? Why does Daryl Bevel keep getting jobs? I don't understand it anymore. Everywhere he's gone, it's just been every offense has underachieved. Lions fans were ready to just kick him out before Patricia last year. Why are we still trying with Daryl Bevel? He's not going to make it in Jacksonville this year. Bright side for the Jags, actually, even though they're not technically my one through 30 graphic of power rankings. I did move them ahead of the Jets this week. Just, you know, at least they showed a little effort, a little something that gave me a little bit of things to look at for Jacksonville. So slight improvement. But going back to the game here, filling that in. So some other things to mention here, the Cardinals defense, they have a lot of questions for me, whereas the Rams defense has a lot of answers. When I mentioned the Cardinals defense and their question marks here, they allow over five yards per carry. And I don't care if Daryl Henderson can't suit up. I think Sony Michelle, Jake Funk, whoever the Rams are throwing out there will be more than happy to capitalize on a weak run defense. But it doesn't end there. Their cornerbacks, who's going to be stopping Cooper Cup? <laughs> who's going to be stopping Robert Wood? Uh, Deshaun Jackson could get past the secondary. We still saw he has a step there. Van Jefferson. I think at this point, the Cardinals are putting out a uh, an APV throughout Arizona to try and find Buda Baker because Buda Baker was great in the first week and then just we haven't seen him since the Vikings game. Some contrast between them and the University of Arizona. They might have to have open tryouts for their cornerback positions because, yeah, I, I don't see anyone who's going to be stopping the Rams offensive weapons, whereas you can only say the Rams defense does have the capability to shut down the weapons of the Cardinals. So, you know, it's just a simple math here. Who has more questions on their team? Who has more answers? The Rams, they're my pick. So we're together on the Rams here. Tallied up before we walk off here, which games do we disagree on? We said Bucks and Pats. I went with the Bucks. You're going with the Pats. You're trying to get a little cute here, but we'll see how it pays off for you. You know, hey, upset picks happen. I told you in the offseason, that was a game that I was potentially targeting. Uh, We're both on the Ravens, okay, going into Denver. So both picking that one there. We're both going with the Niners. So that's a change up for a week here. You're actually going against the Seahawks. So changing it up there. Raiders, Chargers, that's one we disagree on. I'm going with Raider Nation. Knock on wood if you're with me. You're going with the Chargers. And what other game do we have? We had another game. Uh, We had this one, of course. The Rams. Yeah. And we're both going with the Rams. So two disagreements here. We'll see if we finally get some separation here in the standings. Uh, One thing I want to mention before we close out here, meant to mention this on the fantasy show, didn't get a chance to. Recently, I added a a gentleman on Facebook, a very prominent gentleman in the fantasy football community, Mike Tagliere. And um, unfortunately, I just saw the news this week that he passed away. You know, we were mentioning stuff about the uh, vaccine earlier in the show. He passed away due to COVID at the age of 39. I know a lot of fantasy shows are doing this and we're going to be doing the same thing here. I'm going to be putting in the description the link to the GoFundMe as they're raising funds for his funeral. I never officially talked to Mike. I'm glad he accepted my Facebook request while he was still with us. But, you know, I know he was well-respected within the industry. And, you know, I, I just want to give a shout out to the family. And, you know, this is kind of like makes me think about like, you know, seeing a guy pass at age 39 why we're doing this you know like in a way we're just trying to live out your dreams and at least mike i know is a short life but you know hey you get to talk sports you get to talk about something you're passionate you love i say that's at least a life well lived there um however brief unfortunately all right well guys uh, like i said i'm gonna put that in the description right there so go check it out anyway signing off here so juju talk sports kyle ledbetter go ahead and check us out on all our social media platforms at slump buster podcast on ig at SlumpBusterPod on Twitter. Leave us a five-star review if you're looking at this on iTunes. Give us a like on this video if you're on YouTube. Check out our partner, Caveman Coffee Co. Come on, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP at Caveman 
coffeeco.com to save yourself some money on some delicious cold brew coffee. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. And we will see you on the next one.